Hey friends, Elisa Childers here. As a Christian parent, what do you do when your kids start asking really tough questions about their faith? Questions about the reliability of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus, the existence of God himself. Well, today's guest is going to help us engage our kids in conversations that will help them build a lasting faith. My guest today is Natasha Crane, a national speaker, blogger, and the author of two books geared toward helping Christian parents engage their kids in conversations about their faith specifically to help teach their kids apologetics and theology, and to help give them a really strong foundation to build upon as they grow up. Her first book is called Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, 40 Conversations to Help Them Build a Lasting Faith, which, by the way, was a 2017 ECPA Christian Book Award finalist in the new author category. In fact, it was so wildly successful that it led to her second book, which just came out last week, called Talking to Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. You can get these wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Christian retailers as well. So Natasha, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here with you. I mean, finally, right? We've been talking about this for a long time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so we've been texting back and forth. What can we talk about on a podcast? So it was really convenient that your book just came out. So you've been busy on the, uh, the, you know, campaign trail or promotion trail. What do you call it in the book world? Well, I guess it can be called anything. We think of it as kind of promoting the book and getting the word out, but I I can see using the word campaign trail too. It kind of feels like that sometimes when you're constantly talking about the book and trying to help people find out about it. So either one is fine. Well, you and I are both going to be at the very first Women in Apologetics conference at Biola in January, and I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be leading worship and doing a breakout session on progressive Christianity, which we have both uh, written about and taken a lot right. of flack for. So we're, we're <laughs> sisters in that. And um, you're going to be one of the keynote speakers along with Mary Jo Sharp and Melissa Kane Travis and Hillary Ferrer of Mama Bear Apologetics. So do you know what you're speaking on yet, what your topic is? Well, we haven't nailed down the topics, but I will probably speak on something about equipping the next generation. That's that's sort of what I focus on most of the time. So I'll probably be doing my talk on that. Awesome. But I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited that there's going to be a Women in Apologetics conference, and and I can't wait to to be there and see you lead worship. And it's it's going to be great. I hope a lot of people will be joining us. I, I do too. And if you're listening and you want more information on the Women in Apologetics conference that's happening in January uh, January 19th and 20th at Biola University, you can go to womeninapologetics.com to find out how to register. You can look at the list of speakers, and you can find out anything you want to know about it there. And we'd love to to see you come on out for that, for the very first Women in Apologetics conference. So, um, Natasha, when you started your blog, I love your story. You have such a unique story. You didn't start an apologetics blog, which it kind of ended up morphing into. So how did you get into apologetics and how did your blog kind of take shape in that sense? Right. Well, I think a lot of people who read my blog today assume that I just started an apologetics blog at some point. But actually, when I started my blog, it was um, in 2011, November 2011, so almost exactly six years ago. And when I started the blog, I couldn't have told you what the word apologetics meant. I'd been raised in the Christian church and a Christian family, been a Christian my whole life, basically, but I didn't know what apologetics meant. And when I started my blog, I really just intended it to be a general Christian parenting blog. I had three kids who were three and under at the time. Wow. 
And so I was just starting to think about, you know, what can we do to raise them in a Christ-centered home? And, and how can we do much more than taking them to church each week? And so in the process of thinking about that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start a blog. Everyone was starting a blog in 2011. (laughs) It was kind of the the thing to do. And I thought, you know what, I can do that. And that will be kind of a cool way to get to meet other Christian parents online. It was hard to get out of the house at the time with these three little kids a lot. And so it was, I thought it'd be a good way to meet other Christian parents. And so I started my blog and I started just writing about things we were doing, like little devotionals and worship songs that we could do with young kids and things like that. And over time, my readership started to grow and people were starting to share my blog posts online. And as they did that, it started bringing a stream of skeptics to my site Mm. and they were leaving comments on my blog posts. And I have to emphasize that I I was not writing anything provocative. (laughs) I was not (laughs) writing anything at the time where I was, you know, really going after an atheistic worldview or anything like that. I mean, just very basic kind of Christian parenting stuff, like what we're doing to celebrate Easter. But -hmm. I started getting all these skeptics who were coming to the site and they were leaving comments and saying things like, you know, there's actually no evidence. Jesus existed or, uh, you know, evolution has replaced any need for God or the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions, you know, all those basic kinds of challenges that today seem basic to me, but at the time I really hadn't heard them before. Right. So long story short, I basically realized for the first time, oh my gosh, my kids are growing up in a totally different world than the one in which I grew up. And so I, I need to get better equipped for these kinds of questions. And I just set off into a really intense reading journey and read everything I could get my hands on, learned what apologetics was, how you make a case for and defend the Christian faith, and just started reading. And, and I really haven't stopped. I, I'm an obsessive reader, and I just want to understand everything I can. And I've turned my blog into a place now where I write about those kinds of challenges and Christian parenting in a secular world so I can equip other Christian parents with this knowledge that I kind of accidentally fell into over time on my blog. So today I, you know, I can honestly say that when I get those skeptics comments, I welcome them to come because I'm no longer afraid of them as Mm. I was when I first started reading them. And that's where I really hope to help other Christian parents get to this place of just, you know, peace with knowing that what they believe is truly true. And there is an answer to these questions that skeptics are raising and, and really um, challenging our kids with. Yeah. And what is it about a, a new Christian blog starts and it's like there's some kind of alarm system that goes off all around the world <laughs> and all the atheists call, you know, crawl out of their holes and like, we've got a new Christian blog to go comment on. I don't know what that is because, you know, when I started mine, I started getting my own couple of atheist trolls and um, I don't know where they come from or how they find out about us, but I'm sure glad they did. And <laughs> I'm sure that in your case, that was that was divine providence there because God's like sending all the atheists over there to, to get you uh, <laughs> to get you reading apologetics books so you can help all of us parents with how to talk to our kids about this stuff. Did I hear you say once that you read, was it 200 books in two years? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I read a couple hundred books just a couple of years and I, and I really, you know, not quite that pace now, but I, I pretty much keep up with that. Maybe a little bit less, but I, I really do read just constantly and, and try to just kind of keep in front of, um, you know, the things that I'm hearing, because it does seem that every time, you know, you, you understand one thing, somebody will come up with another challenge and it's like, okay, that's really off the wall. I haven't heard that one before. And you start peeling back the layers and it's like, okay, well, this isn't really, you know, what it appears to be on the surface. So there's always more to learn. And that doesn't mean, you know, if you're listening to this and you're just getting interested in apologetics and starting to learn you, you that you don't have to read that 
kind of volume of material before you can feel equipped to be engaging with other um, people and with your yeah. kids. So I don't want that to scare anyone away. It's just, uh, it's more descriptive of my own uh, personal right. experience and really going crazy about it because I just, you know, I'm a really type A person. And when I realized how much I didn't know, despite having been a lifelong Christian, that really motivated me and wanted, and I really wanted to make a change in that. Yeah. And that's why your books are so valuable because people who hear, you know, you talk about 200 books in two years and kind of keeping up with a pace like that. You don't have to do that because Natasha has done the work for you. She's, she's consolidated all these arguments. She's presenting them in her books in a way that's easy to understand and a way that's easy to apply to your kids. Because, uh, you know, growing up in a Christian home, I've shared my story before that I had never heard some of the objections to Christianity um, that are really commonplace on the internet now until I was in my 30s. And yeah. kind of like you, I, I knew the word apologetics, but I didn't know a ton about it. And I didn't know anybody could answer some of these things that I was encountering. And so um, just I can't say enough about both of your books. They're just excellent, great books for parents to get uh, to help their kids to understand because it's so much better for kids to hear the objections in a safe place, even in your home, than it is out in a, in a philosophy class in college, you know, right. where they're already feeling isolated and a little insecure. So Natasha, as a mom uh, that blogs about apologetics and writes books about apologetics, in your experience, what would you say is the greatest challenge that our kids are facing, our Christian kids are facing in this particular culture? You know, it, it's tempting to kind of pick out one particular faith challenge. You know, for example, there is no God, which is very common one that, that kids hear today, just plain and simple, there is no God. So forget about the rest of the conversations. It, it's tempting to look for one of those. And I, and I could point to the ones that are the most common, but I think there's something that underlies all of them. And it's really the biggest challenge of all. And that's just the volume of information that kids are facing today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's so much out there now that kids have the internet. I always feel old when I'm saying that it's like this internet thing (laughs) (laughs) has changed the world, but it really truly has. has, And you know, just kids need a discernment and ability to discern and evaluate information at a level that we just never experienced growing up. We, you know, that everything was kind of curated for us much more when we Mm -hmm. were kids. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like you got the information that your parents gave you, that your church gave you, if you grew up in church Mm -hmm. and that you got at school. Right. And even that was was quite different than what some of the schools are putting out today. So today kids can go straight online and they can get millions of pages of information by typing in something simple like, you know, did Jesus exist as Mm -hmm. a person in history? And they're confronted with volumes and volumes of information. And most kids don't, are not equipped yet with that ability to look at each of these pieces of information and say, and say, you know, ask basic questions like, well, who wrote this? And, you know, what are their sources? What are are the reasons for accepting that what they're saying is true? How do I find out more? How do I challenge this? So critical thinking has just become this literally invaluable skill today. Mm. And I think that, you know, it's not something that's so simple to teach. It's not something that, you know, we can easily sit down one day and say, here's what critical thinking is. And here's what you need to do in order to have it. It's something we have to consistently reinforce at home and, and keep pointing to small examples in our daily life of how to think well about things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can give just a, not to go too far off track, but just to give a simple example yeah. to get, to get people thinking, we went to a, a yogurt place the other day and on the spoon, 
it said, hope changes everything. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always pointing out secular wisdom to my kids mm-hmm. because you see it everywhere. You know, these simple little sayings that, you know, never stop dreaming, hope changes everything, you know, be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you point out sort of the questions you should ask, when you hear things like that, it gets your kids thinking. And I have two eight-year-olds and a seven-year-old, so they're still young. But my son was the one who pointed at the spoon. He goes, mommy, look, hope changes everything. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, what kind of hope? And my, and my daughter, his twin sister says, and what does it mean that it changes everything? And that was a proud mommy moment because I just thought, I'm so glad you're asking those questions. Yeah. You know, what do we mean by hope and what do we mean by it changes everything and what actually is hopeful? And that led to a conversation about how the, you know, the most meaningful hope is the hope that we have in Jesus, because that speaks to eternal hope. So even those little things in day-to-day life where we can get our kids to just think critically about everything that's around them will help them to be able to discern what is true and what is untrue from the heaps of information that they're going to face today. And of course, we want to talk to them about the specific challenges they'll hear, which has been the emphasis in in the books that I've written. But uh, in addition to that, they just have to have these skills in order to really work through these claims. Yeah. And logic and critical thinking and good reasoning skills is all such an important piece of the puzzle here. And uh, interestingly, Natasha, one of the first blog posts I ever read of yours was when you were teaching the law of non-contradiction to, I think it was your six-year-olds at the time. And so this was a few years ago. And you were talking about how they had seen a bird and one said it was, I don't know, blue. And the other maybe said it was oh, right. <laughs> yellow or something. And you, as all of us do in a mom moment, went, it can be both. And then you realized, oh my gosh, I just taught my kids relativism, you know? (laughs) And so you had to kind of unpack that and say, guys, here's the deal. The the bird can't be both red and blue at the same time in the same sense. You know, one of you is wrong or you're both wrong, but you can't both be right. And, and, you know, that takes energy and effort because it is so much easier to just say, Hey, it can be both, but so stop fighting. Yeah, stop be fighting. quiet. <laughs> but we can inadvertently teach our kids really, really bad ideas. Um, you know, when we do that. So I, that that was one of those blog posts that jumped out at me, and I was like, "Man, I need this," because I was studying apologetics so intently, but I had no idea how to communicate that and some of those ideas to my kids. So, oh, and I haven't given your website yet, so let's do that now. If you are a Christian parent, you absolutely don't want to miss out on Natasha's blog. It is is excellent. So it's at christianmomthoughts.com. And I think you can also get there just by going to natashacrane.com. Right. So that's Natasha, C-R-A-I-N.com. So definitely check out Natasha's blog. So Natasha, in your book, you tell some stories uh, about... When you've heard other parents talk about how they communicate with their kids about God, and you were kind of expressing some frustration of some of the things that you've heard. So what, what are some mistakes that Christian parents make when they're discussing the existence of God with their kids? Yeah, you know, it's. It, I think that the number one thing that I see or that I hear just going on around me is that parents tend to talk to their kids about God in whatever ways are comfortable for them personally. And it, it's very much based on their own experience. It's here's how I know that God exists, or here's why I believe in God. And it, it's, it's hard for kids to take that in this world where they're constantly being challenged by others and in hearing there is no God. It's hard 
hard for kids to take your experience as the parent and somehow make that their own. And Mm -hmm. so as parents, we have to be prepared to talk about the objective evidence for God's existence that we can point to outside of our own experiences. So just to give you an example of one thing that I heard, and I talk about this in the book, I was at a, a, a party, like a dinner party a couple of years ago when my kids were starting at their, uh, they go to a private Christian school and it was just kind of a dinner for a lot of new parents. And, uh, the conversation, everyone's kind of making small talk and it eventually t- comes around to faith and why we're all at the school. And one of the parents and said, um, you know, I, I just have trouble knowing how to pass on my faith to my daughter. And so I thought that it would be better to put her in a Christian school. And another mom looks at her and she goes, you know, I haven't really had that problem myself. I just tell her that believing in God is like believing in Santa. Some people believe and some people don't. Oh. And it's just <laughs> about faith. And oh. I, you know, I was, I was slightly horrified. <laughs> At the time, because, you know, I want to just jump in and say, well, let's define biblical faith. Let's talk about what that, how that would apply to God and Santa and how those are different. You know, this is how atheists actually want theists to think that it is just like believing in Santa. You know, there's no evidence for God, no evidence for Santa. It's all a big fairy tale. So without even realizing it, this mom was talking about a very well-meaning mom, by the way, she wasn't joking. So she was talking about God with her daughter in a way that made sense to her. And it was kind of how she had processed things. And she was a believer and, and that's kind of what she had made of it. But at the same time, without realizing it, she was setting her daughter up for spiritual vulnerability later. Because when atheists mm-hmm. come along later and say, yeah, it is just like believing in Santa. There is no evidence for God. And by the way, this is a really childish belief, just like believing in Santa. And so, you know, it's time you give up that belief. And you know, it's a really unfortunate example, um, but but it's a real one, one that I actually heard at, at you know in my local community at my own school. Right. So yeah, I think that a lot of times as parents, we just kind of wing it in a way, and we you know we go at parenting and especially discipleship of our kids in ways that feel comfortable and familiar to us, without really looking into what our kids need. And that's that's really the challenge today is that our kids have so many needs because there are mm-hmm. so many faith challenges. And it does take time and effort. Like you said, it's, it's not the easy way. It's not the winging it. It requires us to really understand what's going on. What is the challenge and how do we prepare our kids for it? Yeah. And that's where your blog is so helpful. My, my daughter is eight and recently she's really been struggling with the, the historicity of the old Testament. Cause we mm-hmm. had been reading through some of the old Testament and it's funny, even as an, you know, I have an apologetics blog. I read your blog. I've read your <laughs> books. And when she asked me, mom, how do we know that this miracle, like this miracle of parting the Red Sea really happened? You know, this panic rose up in me. Right. And my instinct was to say, well, you just need to believe it because the Bible's true. <laughs> you know, you just <laughs> right. you know, believe it because the Bible says so. And I caught myself and I went, you know, so it's not, it, it's, it's like, it's totally understandable some of the parental reactions because yes. you want your kid to believe the truth, but we're just not living in a culture where we can get away with answers like that anymore. Right. And, and that's why your book and your blog are so helpful because I, I kind of, I, I, I took a breath and, <laughs> and engaged the conversation with her and she still kind of 
uh, struggles with it. And we talk about it a lot, but I just figured that if I right now can be a safe place for her to ask her questions where I'm not going to shut her down or try to answer for her, but help her to think well and to look at the evidence for herself, then she'll come back to me with her even more difficult questions as she grows up. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's so important for us as Christians to engage with good conversation with our kids and not just give pat answers that they're going to reject later. Right. And I, I think that that's such an important point too, that even when you know the answers or, you know, if given time you could, you know, sketch out the answers, a lot of times you get put on the spot as a parent, right? And right. It, it's, it is intimidating. And, you know, like you said, like we both have apologetics blogs and we write and speak about this kind of stuff. And still sometimes when my kids ask things, I'm like, okay, let me put, like, I'm thinking inside, okay, I've got to put this just perfectly, you know, and I have to help them understand this. You know, I have a blog after all, right? So, you know, it's, it can be a challenge. You know, I think my son said just this week, he, he was, um, he was reading in, in the new Testament. And I, I think that he had read somewhere that you can't survive more than, you know, a certain number of days without food. And he said, so the Bible it must have been wrong about Jesus, you know, mm. being tempted for that long and not having food. And, and I don't, and he kind of looked at me funny to see what I was going to say. And so we <laughs> talked, we talked about that kind of led to this whole conversation about, you know, what's possible naturally within the natural laws of our world and what's possible because God makes it possible above and beyond those natural laws, which is what we call a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great opportunity to then have that whole conversation. And so I just kind of threw out this impromptu game where I said, okay, let's talk about some different things and talk about whether it would be a miracle or something that just happened within natural law. And again, my kids are eight and seven, so we're not talking about teenagers here. This is just a simple little game that arose from this. And I said, okay, we read about Jesus walking down the road, natural or supernatural, right? They say natural because you can walk down the road. Anyone can do that. That's within natural law. You know, how about Jesus walking on water? Okay, that's supernatural. That would mean that, that that is miraculous because we cannot walk on water. So I just kept throwing out these different examples like that. You know, if you know if Jesus ran, is that supernatural or natural? And that just gave them, I think, this better understanding of those differences. But all of that came from one little question that at first had me going, okay, what, what how do I how do I write this right? Because I don't want to like throw them off track. So we do get nervous yeah. when these things come up. But I think that you know if we take the time to just kind of think through it with our kids, it can actually lead to some really great conversations. Totally. And your book covers so many different topics that you you do talk about the miraculous and the supernatural in your book. You talk about the evidences for the existence of God, the problem of evil, free will. But I love that you also kind of tackle more practical, even kind of theological things like how we can know that God hears and answers prayers, because I think that's a big one for kids. And so you, you tell a story about uh, that every, I think every mom can relate to that really brings that point home. Can you, can you share that story with us? Yeah. So when my, my son was a toddler, we had a treadmill out in the garage and uh, we told him, you know, many times like never get on the treadmill, but of course that doesn't work. Right. And one day he got right up on the treadmill and pushed the big start button and it was, 
was up against the wall. And uh, before we could even get out of the car to get over to him, he had been thrown off the treadmill because it started ramping up really fast to my husband's uh, running speed. And it threw him back against the wall and he got trapped between the treadmill and the wall with the thing Mm -hmm. running, which caused serious burns on his legs. And as he was stuck there, he fell forward onto his arms, which caused serious burns on his arms. So it was a really kind of a (laughs) traumatic incident for everyone involved. Um, but we managed to get him out of there and get the treadmill stopped. And we, we got him over to the, the hospital to get him taken care of and his burns treated and all those things. So that night we, we bring him home and we prayed together for his wounds to be healed and, uh, you know, that, that everything would, would go okay for him. And, uh, we took everyone to bed at night and that was kind of the end of that very long day. And then the next night before bed, we got together to say our nightly prayers and we were about to uh, pray for him again. And my daughter just kind of interrupted and she said, well, why do we, why do we have to pray again? Why didn't God answer our prayers from last night? You know, why weren't his wounds immediately healed? And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was such an interesting question. And I never forgot it because it it made me just reflect on the fact that, you know, when we pray that God would heal our child's wounds, we usually don't have the expectation that that's going to miraculously disappear (laughs) the next day. Right. right? We're kind of as adults, we're thinking, you know, please help this, this natural process to go well, basically. And it just had me thinking like, are we just so jaded as adults that we temper our expectations of prayer in a way that kids Mm. haven't learned to yet. So it really, it really made me reflect on, you know, the nature of prayer and how we know that God hears and answers our prayers, even though he doesn't answer prayers a lot of times in the ways that maybe a child would expect. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, it was a really, it was a really eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. And I think that's something that not just kids, parents, everybody as a Christian, we struggle with is the idea of prayer, asking God to do something, asking God to heal. And, you know, you hear stories of people being miraculously healed here and there. And you mention uh, a popular atheist website that asks the question, why doesn't God heal amputees? Because, you know, it's funny, you can go on YouTube, there's a gajillion videos of people supposedly being healed, right? Right. But you never see, you never see a leg grow back or an arm grow back of an amputee. And so this is a difficult question. So how can Christian parents explain to their kids why God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we would, we would like him to, how can we think about this? And you actually wrote a great blog post kind of along these lines when uh, Nabil Qureshi died. Uh, he's a, for listeners who don't know, Nabil was a beloved apologist, uh, just a bright shining star in apologetic, in the apologetics world. The last person that anybody would have thought that God would allow to die. And so it was, it was a difficult time for a lot of us. And so, so how can parents begin to answer this question for their kids or, or engage their kids in this conversation of why, what, you know, why should we pray if God's not going to do it? And, and why doesn't he always answer our prayers like we've asked? Right. Well, it's, you know, it, the challenge with this question is that it is very emotional in nature. You know, when I wrote that post about how I personally felt about Nabil Qureshi, I did feel that my faith had been wounded a little. I just couldn't believe mm. that with all the prayers, uh, you know, in, in just everyone who, who was reaching out to God on Nabil's behalf that he, he ultimately, um, you know, wasn't spared, but it was, it was his time 
time, apparently. And that was really difficult. And so you feel this emotional burden in that post. I was saying, you know, I was so grateful for my knowledge and understanding of apologetics now, because it gave me that intellectual anchor, you know, no matter what Mm -hmm. happened with Nabil Qureshi and that particular prayer that everyone had, the evidence for God's existence is still the same. The evidence for the historical resurrection is still the same. The evidence for the reliability of the Bible remains the same. So it comes back to this question of, well, what do we make of it? And I, I think the most important starting point is just understanding that we can't presume to know how God acts unless we're looking at the Bible. So for a skeptic to come and say, mm-hmm. well, you know, how, you know, how is it that God doesn't heal amputees? Okay. Well, we have to say, well, if we're going to assume anything about God, then we have to look at the Bible and what he is revealing of himself. Right. And so right. we have to go into the Bible and say, what, what does the Bible say about prayer? And the Bible says that God hears prayers, which is what I get into in this chapter. There are many verses where it indicates that God hears our prayers and that God answers prayers according to his will. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God answers every prayer. If it did, then skeptics could rightly say, hey, I just prayed for something and it didn't happen. So the Bible's wrong. They would be right if they said that. But the Bible never says that God answers every prayer. And we can imagine why. I mean, we could pray something inconsistent with God's character, like, hey, I I want a car to run over this person that really upset me, right? And, and for God to answer, that would be inconsistent with his good and holy mm-hmm. character. So we can understand why many prayers aren't answered. But the but the, the short answer on the end of this is that if he doesn't answer every prayer, then we can't logically look at the result of any one prayer to decide whether or not God answers prayers. And that's really effectively what skeptics are doing. They're saying, hey, look at this one kind of prayer that we're not regularly seeing any kind of quote unquote mm. result from. And, and they're saying that that means that God doesn't answer prayer, but you can't deduce that from what the Bible says. The Bible says mm. that God doesn't answer every prayer. Then there are going to be prayers that he doesn't answer. And it can be emotionally difficult when we don't understand why he didn't answer some prayers. Um, but if it's not within his will for whatever reason, within his, you know, immense knowledge and his Mm. eternal wisdom, then that's something that we have to accept as emotionally difficult as it can be. So if we saw no answers to prayers ever, and this is kind of what I tried to emphasize in that chapter by the end, if we saw no answers to prayers ever, that would be inconsistent with what the Bible says. Um, but that's not the case. And what we see, according to research, actually, um, I quoted this research study from Pew Research, and they found that almost one third of Americans say their prayers result in, quote, definite and specific answers from God at least once a month, with almost mm. one in five adults saying they receive direct answers to specific requests at least once a week. So does God answer prayers? Well, a skeptic might claim that every single one of those millions of people is mistaken every single time, but that Mm. is also a belief worth being skeptical about. So Mm. I think that, you know, we still, we still have to come back to the evidence. We have all the evidence for God's existence, the reliability of the Bible, a historical resurrection. And when we put all of those things together, yes, we might be devastated by the outcome of a prayer request that God did not say yes to what we were hoping, but that shouldn't challenge us in our thinking about whether or not God exists, whether or not he loves us, whether or not the Bible's promises are true. It means that within his his wisdom and his will that that did not fall. Hmm. 
So if you could give Christian parents one piece of advice, if there was just one takeaway from this interview, from your books, uh, what do you want Christian parents to walk away with? with just, just one piece of advice. Um, I would say to have a plan and be purposeful. I think, like I was saying earlier, too often people are going after their their discipleship with the just kind of this attitude of, well, this is what makes sense for me and what's familiar to me, like I was talking about before. So if you have a plan as a parent, and not just any plan, but you've looked into what's needed today, what our kids need from us in terms of being prepared for the world they're going into, then you're going to be preparing them in a way that's invaluable. And honestly, there's, we really have no excuses parents to not prepare our kids in that way. It's not a matter of time because if you truly believe the claims of, of Jesus and you believe that these decisions have eternal significance for your kids, there can't possibly be anything that's more important. You know, no matter how many soccer practices or baseball practices you have in a week, you can surely find 30 minutes to sit down and have the conversations that really matter with your kids. Hmm. The book is called Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. The website, natashacrane.com. That's Natasha, C-R-A-I-N.com. Natasha, thanks so much for coming on today, and I'm excited to see you in January. Thank you so much. I know I'm looking forward to that a lot. listening to this podcast and would like to sign up to receive my blog posts and podcasts by email, you can go to alisachilders.com and click the subscribe button, or you can simply subscribe to the Alisa Childers podcast on iTunes. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.